What's shaking, hurdlers? You are listening to episode 63 of Hurdle, a podcast that talks to everyone from entrepreneurs to top CEOs and athletes about how they got through tough times, hurdles of sorts, by leaning into wellness. My name's Emily Abadi. Your girl is fresh off an 11 mile run. She's feeling slightly dehydrated, but good, and amped to bring you this week's episode with Jess Woods. She's a Nike Plus running coach, a studio manager for Flywheel Sports, and an ultra marathoner. More on that in a second. Before we get to it, quick shout out to my sponsor, Athletic Greens. With 12 servings of fruits and vegetables, Athletic Greens has everything I need to kick off my day right. They are offering Hurdle listeners a special deal. It's 20 travel packs, a $79 value, absolutely free with your first purchase. Just head on over to athleticgreens.com hurdle. Again, that's athleticgreens.com hurdle to grab yours today. All right, so let's talk about Jess Woods. Like I said, Nike Plus running coach, ultra marathoner. Today, she's slaying a crazy amounts of miles, 100 in one swoop. But not all that long ago, she was working full-time as a project manager at NBC. In today's episode, we talk about the opportunity that came her way to turn her passion for running into more of a full-time gig. We also talk about her big goals as a coach for the years to come and what it's really like to run for 27 hours straight. Oh my God, it's insane. She also offers up some must-hear advice for new runners on how they can start and stay with the sport and something that a lot of people reach out to me about often, some advice when it comes to making an essential career pivot. Fun fact also, if you're into The Bachelorette, Coach Woods recently teamed up with Tyler Cameron, he's a current contestant on the show, to help coach a weekly informal running club that he's hosting with his friend Matt James in Central Park. She was telling me after we recorded this that she was just so enamored by these two someone has to say it, slightly attractive, okay, very attractive guys, bringing hundreds of people together to run, and she just had to get in on the action. Now, they're all working together to put together a 5K at the end of the summer with all the proceeds going to Matt's charity, which is called ABC Food Tours. So for more info on that, definitely keep up with Jess on social. Her Instagram handle is JesslynNYC. That's J-E-S-L-Y-N-N-Y-C. And check out also ABC Food Tours on the gram. It's just at ABC Food Tours. As for me, like I said, Chicago Marathon training is in full swing. I'm so happy to be in the air conditioning right now. And I'm loving uh, all the messages that are coming from you guys asking for tips and tricks and advice and whatnot. So keep it coming. Uh, We're all going to push through all this heat and all these miles together. And uh, make sure to keep up with the podcast on Instagram. It's at Hurdle Podcast. And of course, for me, it's at Emily Abadi. If you've got a hurdle moment of your own to share or just want to say hi, I'm always around on email. It's emily at hurdle.us. And I think that's it. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Nike run coach and ultra marathoner extraordinaire, Jess Woods. I don't know about extraordinaire, (laughs) but thank you. You have won an ultra marathon. I think when you win one. Yeah, you just have to win one local race and then that's it. Retired. Can you, before we really jump into this, give the hurdlers nickname for the audience some insight into what it means to be an ultra marathoner? Uh, well, an ultra marathoner is technically anything over a marathon. So they usually start at the 50K distance or 31 miles. And then it can be anywhere up to 50 miles, 100K, 100 miles. I haven't run any further than 100 miles in one, I guess not sitting, but one, <laughs> one standing. Uh, but they definitely, there's even crazier ones beyond a hundred miles, but that's where I stop. Are there no sweet spots in between like 26.2 and 31? Uh, I think 50 K on trail is where it's at. That seems nice. And why is it on trail a lot of the time? Cause I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but a majority of the races that you're getting into are all like in the woods. Yeah, definitely. Um, we just had one last weekend that was on road, a uh, hundred miles or a hundred kilometers around the streets of New York. And it's a different 
beast on road versus trail. I mean, they're each difficult in their own way, but I feel like ultra marathons on trail bring a different element of obstacles and just different kinds of challenges than than running on road. But they do exist both on trail and road. I just prefer trail. Do you think that people lean into trail for ultras because it's just less of an impact on your joints, like softer surfaces? Yes. And it's it's also how these things started. Like the first 100 miler was, well, it's now called Western States, but these races started off as horse races. And one year, uh, a man named Gordy, his horse became lame and they had to put it down. And so the next year, he, instead of using a horse, uh, he wondered if he could do it on foot in under 24 hours. And so this guy, if you watch documentaries on him, super cool, bearded guy, probably ran the 100 miles in jorts, uh, (laughs) squeaked in just under 24 hours. And instead of receiving a medal, like you do in normal marathons at the end of these races, he received a belt buckle because it was originally for horses. And so that's why uh, these things are on trail, because that's how they started. They started on trail for horses, and then people started wondering if they could do it on foot. What's your 100-miler PR? Uh, Just under 27 hours. Wow. Running for 20. Do Do you take a break during that? How does that work? Give us give us some logistics of like how a hundred miler happens, and then we'll get into the rewind where we get the download on how you started doing them in the first place. <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, yeah. So there are aid stations, uh, even though you're on trail in the middle of the woods, in the middle of the desert. There are typically aid stations. Every race is different, but let's say every five, eight, ten miles, there's an aid station. So you do take a little bit of a break try not to break too much because if you imagine if you spend 10 minutes at each aid station and there's at least six aid stations that's an hour you could have taken off of your time like it really adds up right over the course of 100 miles so you try and take a break get down some fuel <laughs> use the bathroom if there is one and uh keep moving it's you have to it's a delicate balance between making sure you are ready to move on to the to the next segment versus spending too much time there. Wow. You can okay. get very comfy at yeah. a station. Just just start hanging out, lounging around. Yes. Yeah, some people nap. I'm not fast enough to nap. <laughs> I, I need all the time. <laughs> I love I'm it. Not. I love it. Okay. So have you always been into running? I have always been into running. I used to hate running, though. I was a triple jumper and a sprinter for nine years, and we are very lazy. We hate running. We. Yes. We as <laughs> we, a category. Yeah. We're stereotypically lazy runners. Jumpers like to show up to track and do our drills and run some sprints, but running was kind of a punishment. You know, if you were late for practice, you had to run a mile. And so it was kind of used as punishment versus enjoyment. Enjoyment. Okay. So where does our running career begin? Where are you from? I am from Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, born and raised. College. Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Appropriate. Yes. <laughs> and you did you go to college and run track? I did run track and field there. Yes. Okay. I went for engineering. Ah. Yes. I used to be smart. <laughs> You're still smart. (laughs) Used to be a material science engineer that ran on the side. Okay. Because these days you are running what feels like full time. I would like it to be full time. It's almost (laughs) full time. I don't know if anyone becomes a running coach for the money. So we all have our we all have our side gigs, but uh, it's primarily running. I'm also the studio manager for a cycling studio, Flywheel Sports in Chelsea. Uh, So that's my full-time gig. And then on the side, uh, in the morning, at night, on the weekends, you name it, uh, I'm a coach for Nike Running. And then I also help Coach Finley at Brooklyn Track Club uh, and coach personal clients as well. Cool. Okay. So let's dial it back a little bit to when you first started running because what you were doing uh, in track and field is very, very, very different than what you're doing now. So talk to me about what your relationship was like with running back when you were, say, in college in Pittsburgh? Uh, In college in Pittsburgh, it was, I don't know if you know the event, the triple jump, very niche (laughs) sport. Um, But I was a triple jumper, did that for nine years, loved it. And after college... What goes into that? 
Um, it is a bound, a skip, and a jump. Oh. <laughs> I'll show you sometime. Okay. I would actually <laughs> love to see you hit a triple jump. Yeah, but once you graduate from college and move to New York, like I don't, I don't know if there's any triple jump clubs. <laughs> um, so it was kind of hard to do it after college. I mean, 12 years ago in New York, there wasn't the boutique fitness industry that there is now. It was you either joined Equinox or you did, you know, Bikram yoga. That was kind of your yeah. two choices 12 years ago. So um, I didn't really find myself for a bit in New York. Um, I had a best friend. I have a best friend. Uh, she was always into running and I always admired her running half marathons, marathons, and I couldn't really wrap my head around it. And after living in New York for about a year and cheering for her at all of these things, um, I decided to give it a shot. I was like, well, if I want to remain best friends with her, maybe I should <laughs> maybe I should take this on. And so I started off actually with uh, Lululemon. They had uh, free yoga at their stores. And then I saw a sign for their free run club. So I started off with them and they were very patient, very kind, ran my first 5K with them, 10K ran the Nike Women's San Francisco Marathon with them and then kind of uh, took off from there. Yeah. So how does one go from recreationally running to then like from there? I mean, it, there's a big jump from running like a 10K to even running a marathon, nevertheless, running an ultra or coaching other runners. Right. So I quickly realized that I wasn't the fastest at any of these distances other than uh, sprinting down the length of the triple jump runway. So I wasn't the fastest 10Ker or fastest half marathoner. And so I became interested in ultra running because I figured once you start running these distances of 50 miles, 100 miles, when you tell someone that you've run that, their first question isn't typically well, what was your pace? <laughs> yeah. So I thought, well, if I can't be the fastest runner, maybe I'll try and run the furthest. I like it. Yeah. So I became interested in the ultra running community and it was actually the race that just happened last weekend, the Great New York 100 mile or 100K running expedition. So it's a labor of love put on uh, by a guy named Phil McCarthy. He used to hold, I don't know which records he still holds, but he used to hold a lot of records in the 24 hour, 48 hour, multi day running categories. He just ran across the country recently and he puts on this race just out of the love of the sport. And I volunteered at this race, I think back in 2012, just to see what the the ultra running scene was all about. Just wanted to get a feel for it before entering my first one. And I paced someone the last 20 miles of her first 100 miler. And just seeing what goes on with someone in miles 80 to 100 and watching the whole community come together because it's all volunteer based. It's all community based. People coming out, putting together their own aid stations for these runners, uh, people volunteering to pace runners in the middle of the night out in Bensonhurst at three o'clock in the morning. Like it's it's crazy some of the things that you see and just seeing the community coming together and seeing how much they support one another and and what everyone is going through and pushing through. I just I fell in love with it. Is there anything in your life that makes you as excited as running? Like I'm just sitting here looking at your smile and you're just so geeked out talking about running. I am very geeked out talking about it and especially the ultra running community. It's it's and the trail running community. It's not that there's anything bad about the road racing community. Um, it's just a different uh, for lack of a better word, it's just a different vibe whenever you you go out and watch an ultra marathon. Yeah, it's uh, everyone helps one another. Um, even like Scott Jurek, he had the world record or fastest known time for the entire Appalachian Trail. And he came out the following year and helped a runner break his own record. And so it's it's very different from road racing. You just see everyone helping one another. Everyone wants to show each other the trails, uh, help them with the sport, let them know like what to expect on their first race. It's a very welcoming 
community. Totally, totally. Okay, so you paced this runner through miles 80 to 100. And obviously you were like, wow, I can't wait to be in this much pain. (laughs) This sounds awesome. Yeah, my runner actually, the runner I was supposed to pace never made it to me. So I hopped in with a complete stranger. Yeah, I was out there anyways. And I hopped in with a stranger and her pacer. And that pacer turned out to be a Nike pacer. And she said, if you can pace this, you can pace anything. And she recommended me to Nike to be one of their Nike pacers. And so this race that I'm talking about really kickstarted this whole domino effect of how I became involved in the running community, both as a hobby and then ultimately professionally, because then I became a Nike pacer uh, back when it was old school Nike run club out of each of the different Nike stores. Uh, just helping them pace their long runs every weekend. And then eventually they asked me to come on and become one of the Nike coaches. Got it. Got it. Okay. So then let's pivot a little bit and talk about your career because you go to college for engineering Yes. and we're talking all about this, all this running stuff. So when you land in New York City, where are you working? I was working at NBC Universal. Okay. Uh, at the Doing t- what? <laughs> exactly. So at the time. Do they have runners there? They do. Mm, I'm sure. Every company <laughs> every company does. I recently coached uh, Hudson River Trading for uh, a mile relay race. And I feel like any company you go to, you can find secret runners that, <laughs> that, that have day jobs. And then like Clark Kent uh, go run races at night. But um. I worked at NBC Universal at the time. GE owned NBC, and so they recruited GE recruited heavily from the top engineering schools. And so I was in their um, engineering rotational program. And when it came time to choose which GE business unit you wanted to work for, it was: Do you want to work for oil and gas, GE transportation, or NBC Universal? And I was like, Well, obviously. And let's move to the most expensive city in the country Perfect. right after college and work for NBC. So I was um, I was mainly a project engineer there in broadcast operations. OK. And I was there for about eight years. What do prod what what does that job do? Um, so uh, project engineers, there's major multi million dollar projects that are happening all the time behind the scenes to keep the network on the air, whether it's. Um, the first time we introduced video on demand that we take for granted today, eight years ago, we were just starting to put shows on iTunes, on Hulu, on video on demand. And so I worked on projects like that. I worked on the Beijing Summer Olympics, which was probably one of my favorites. And I didn't get to go to Beijing. The The whole point of the project was to keep as many people in New York as possible. And so we did things like turn the Saturday Night Live studio floor into this Olympics at home effort where we had announcers and announce booths on the Saturday Night Live studio floor announcing soccer games remotely, watching the feed come in so that we didn't actually have to send them to Beijing to announce the games live. Wow. That's intense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's intense. Okay. So you're at NBC for eight years. Yeah, pretty much. And are you happy at NBC? I was happy-ish. I mean, I was... I think I was good at what I did. Uh, I was a good project engineer, a good project manager. I had that right amount of um, technical uh, smarts to be able to talk to the vendors, talk to the engineers, but then also the communication skills to then put together the PowerPoints and present you know, status updates to, to the bosses. And... Um, I liked it. I liked it enough. Obviously, I was there for eight years, uh, but I can't say I was passionate about television. Right. So uh, running was always a hobby. And uh, how far into your time at NBC did you really get started with running? Um, I think it was well, 2012 ish is when I uh, started pacing for Nike. And so that was just on the weekends or on Wednesdays at our social run uh, right. called Home Run. And I was just sneaking out of work and and doing it on the side. 
and it was actually Mile High Run Club, the indoor treadmill studio, that approached me and asked if I wanted to become a coach at Mile High Run Club. And I had never considered that before. I was always doing it for fun on the side, and I didn't really think that I had the uh, the gift of Blarney to talk for 45 minutes during, during a running class. And so I initially uh, turned them down, but then the more and more I went to those classes and the more people that I met, um, I decided that since this opportunity kind of presented itself organically to me without me actively pursuing it and more and more Nike coaching opportunities coming up, I decided that, you know, now is as good of time as any to to take a chance and go with it. A couple of things. First of all, I feel like treadmill studios are everywhere now. There's, I mean, in, in major cities, I know in LA, like they're getting more and more as we speak. There's now Dash, there's Stride. Mm-hmm. Here we've got Precision Run. We've got Mile High Run Club. I just, I think that it's interesting that people are seeing treadmills Finally, I would argue, in maybe a little bit different of a way than you they used love to. Your treadmill. I this is a maybe new thing. Maybe a little too much. I don't know. I like feeling fast, and I'm learning how to feel fast outside in a shorter distance capacity. So, whereas like for the marathon, like I feel really good about my best marathon pace. I don't necessarily feel like. I can slam a quick short distance yet, but it's like a new challenge that I'd like to work on. Yeah. And the treadmill is a good tool for that because you can set your pace and forget about it. And you know that you're running that pace. It takes the guesswork out of it. Yeah. Uh, So you get your speed intervals in at the exact prescribed pace and distance that your coach has has lined up for you. So it, it is a good tool to use. And on the other end, I think it's a good tool to use for beginner runners who might be afraid to run outside or just don't know where to begin. Uh, A lot of these treadmill studios now try and make it uh, a fun thing, right? You have music, you have lights, you have an instructor talking you through uh, what speeds you should be at, what inclines you should be at. and, And it's trying to make running fun. I mean, I think running's fun, but not everybody thinks not running everybody is thinks fun. running's fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're at NBC, you're getting all of these opportunities as a run coach, and you're finally thinking to yourself, maybe I shouldn't be at NBC anymore. I feel like that's gotta be a really overwhelming choice, especially knowing as a freelancer myself, as a contractor, like what that could entail. Right. It's <laughs> definitely not a sure thing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> entering the entering the freelance world. Um, so I did take my time becoming certified as a uh, road running coach. So I got a certification. I made sure I had enough uh, Mile High Run Club classes lined up. I had the Nike coaching gig on the side. So I very cautiously <laughs> made sure I had everything lined up before before taking the jump. Yeah. Did you have a lot of anxiety over it? Um, I had a lot of anxiety over it, but also I I offered to uh, stay on as part-time with NBC or to work with them as a contractor, and it's just something that they've never done before, and so uh, I don't think they really knew what to do with me, so they they turned it down. I did offer yeah. uh, to stay on in a, in a part-time role, but ultimately uh, I did leave and became a full-time coach at Mile High Run Club, and then... Uh, a coach for Nike and then started getting my certification so I could coach people one-on-one. What did your parents think? (laughs) Uh, My mom supports it as much as she can, uh, but I don't think she fully understands it or will ever understand it. (laughs) Okay. That's, that is the most politically correct answer. (laughs) Oh, mom. Yeah. No, I mean, I get it. I think they're I think required to love us regardless. They are. I think I think the thing about especially like when you're running around and there's no like 100 percent structure with your time is that from the outside looking in, it's like, look at this person just running amok around New York City and they're having such a fun time and they're working out all the time. And man, it looks great. It looks so great. Meanwhile, uh, it's running around at 530 in the morning because as a as a running coach or an instructor, we work when the rest of the world isn't working. Right. So it's either the really early mornings, the really late nights, and then probably some sort of nine to five job in the middle or other side gigs. Was there a moment when you started where you had a, wow, I'm really doing the right thing feeling? Uh, I had the I'm doing the right thing feeling 
I think just based on the running community and seeing how much all of these runners are either enjoying the classes that I was teaching or or seeing those posts after a marathon and and them thanking you for either being out there or for coaching them or for that one class that you taught them and it's those kinds of posts or messages or you know people coming up to you after their race that that make all the early mornings and and late nights worth it I that, love it. That's when I knew. So when you started, you were just coaching. You were coaching at Mile High Run Club. You were coaching with Nike. You were getting your feet wet, doing this whole new vibe. And you were happy. I was happy, yes. <laughs> you're like, then why did you leave? Yeah, I don't know. Bold <laughs> statement. No. No, I mean, I think it's I think we're we're getting into the meat of this. Okay. So you're you're teaching out of classes, but what I will say, having had brief stints in teaching fitness myself, is that it can feel really overwhelming and then a little bit unsteady based off of how many people are coming to your classes and being like the only person that's on the subway at four fifty in the morning when you're going to teach at five thirty. It's like wow, am I like, is this really how I'm making my living? So I'm sure like at the beginning, it came with those fair share amount of uncertainties. Uh, uncertainties or like there's there's pros and cons to being uh, a freelancer or an instructor. Um, when you're first starting out, you have to work those Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays uh, and start building your, your client base. Um, so it can become a little, not daunting, but maybe a little frustrating at times whenever you see all of your friends enjoying the beach on the weekend and you're teaching at 9 a.m. and noon and a 4 p.m. class and you're just in the city all day on the weekends. Um, so that was maybe the downside to it. And I eventually left Mile High Run Club and stayed in the fitness industry, but decided to not only put my, you know, fitness background, my new fitness experience to use, but also my previous experience with managing a business, managing um, expenses and a team. And that's when I decided to try and get the best of both worlds. And uh, now I manage a cycling studio. So I'm able to manage people and budgets and community, but also keep it in the in the fitness industry. Taking a quick break from today's episode to give my sponsor, Athletic Greens, a little bit of a shout out. Let me tell you, I am notorious for having like four to five beverages within an hour of coming back inside from my run. And of course, one of those is definitely my Athletic Greens shaker bottle. I add just eight to 10 ounces of water. It's just so important to rehydrate once I get back inside and really give my body everything it needs to continue my day in the right direction, to get back to that really solid, stellar place. Athletic Greens is offering Hurdle listeners a really special deal. It's 20 free travel packs a $79 value absolutely free with your first purchase. Trust me, this stuff is a game changer. Just head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get yours today. You won't regret it. With that, let's get back to it. When along the lines here, do you run your first full marathon? Ooh, I think the first full marathon was uh, at least in 2012, maybe earlier. It was the Nike Women's San Francisco Marathon. I didn't realize that was a full marathon. It used to be. Okay. <laughs> it used to be. It used to be. They went away with it. Uh, San Francisco is a nightmare of a place for a full marathon. Yeah, I don't think enough people were signing up for the full marathon. It was it was crickets after the decision point of who's running the, the half marathon. You see everyone leaving towards the finish line, and then there's this second runway of marathoners this way. Like yeah. No one was choosing. I mean, no offense to <laughs> no offense to San Francisco. Lovely city, but 26.2 miles of a lot of hills is a lot of work. We had the hills in the first part of the race, which was the interesting part. And then the marathoners then just went out along the highway and ran around a lake where nobody was cheering and then ran back along the highway. It was it was miserable. <laughs> From the moment that you ran your first marathon, did you know that you would be hooked? Because I feel like it can either go one of two ways. It's like, man, I really love that. Or like, wow, I never want to do that again. No, I think marathons are very hard. 
Yeah. Yeah. I run ultra marathons because I think they're for, yeah, it's like the lazy person's marathon. It's great. You get to run slowly for a lot longer in the wilderness. It's amazing. I think marathons are way harder. Yeah. But your version of like slow for some is stellar. It's just a different kind of thing. uh, Challenge. Yes. Okay. In your PR ultra marathon. Yes. If I were to ask you how what your pace was, I don't know. The pace was somewhere like like an eight fifteen pace. I don't know. Casual, yes. Just thirty miles at an eight fifteen pace. But when you're in the woods or in the desert, it's totally it's hard, different. It's totally different because if you say the pace to someone, let's say it was a thirteen minute mile, it's like, well, that's not super impressive. But you have to think about. Um, like the the aid station stops the the uphill climbs i mean sometimes you're reaching points on the trail where you can't run it you're you're scrambling or you're climbing so pace is kind of uh, irrelevant on the trails in an yeah. ultra marathon i like to train people based on feel and by perceived effort because mm-hmm. if you're looking at your watch for 100 miles or for 24 25 26 hours it's just not realistic. Not realistic at all. Okay. You've run a marathon. You change your career. You change your career again. And now how do we feel? We feel good. Yeah. (laughs) We feel good. I hesitate saying uh, we feel comfortable because that has uh, a negative connotation to it, right? Like you're not supposed to feel comfortable. Comfortable could mean bad you should be constantly challenging yourself right I like how you're looking at me for approval I think (laughs) I think that comfortable I think that comfortable can be fine if you feel like you're constantly working to something better so it's okay to get comfortable with the uncomfortable like maybe every day still feels a little bit like a hustle and that I think is rewarding when you are kind of your own boss if you're comfortable which means you're stagnant then I think that's bad but if you're comfortable with the hustle, then I think that's good. Right, right. That's a good way to put it. Yes. You know what I'm so I I feel like this has been <laughs> much like the pace of my hundred milers. This has been a very slow build to to get to where I am right now. Um, because I've always been self-conscious about, you know, I'm not the fastest runner. So why would someone want to hire me as a coach? And so I have taken the time to get certified, constantly reading, constantly learning, going to seminars, going to training camps so that, uh, maybe I'm not the fastest runner, but I have the most knowledge in the sport. Uh, so now my goal is to become the go-to trail and ultra running coach in New York Oh, because it, I think you are starting to see it. There's such a thirst for trail running and it's people are interested in it and and people want to do it, but it's a little difficult in New York because we don't have the luxury of, you know, waking up and driving to the mountains in our backyard. So there's an interest for it and a thirst for it, but people don't quite know in New York how to go about doing it. Like how do you train for a hundred mile trail race while living in New York City? Totally. And if I had to ask you how trail running makes you feel what would you say? How trail running makes me feel other than other than happy. Uh, trail running makes me feel challenged, happy, giving back to the community all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean in a giving back to the community sort of way? Trail running, sometimes we get a bad reputation for these road runners coming to the trails, running trail races, and you know maybe leaving them in a in a worse state than than when we got there. But the the OG trail runners that I that I started off with, um, it's not only are you running these races, but we all volunteer at the races as well. It's a it's a big give back to the community kind of culture. Um, so whether it's pacing someone for a race, volunteering at a race, doing bag check, hosting an aid station, uh, it's just what comes around goes around. So you feel like if you, if you drive out to Vermont and help someone for their first 100 miler, it's going to, you know, karma is going to come back around, especially in the trail and ultra world where everybody's helping each other. 
Yeah, I'm going to come back to this idea of running 100 miles in one swoop. So can you kind of take me through how you felt when you first signed up for your first one and then where that happened? And then let's talk about like the mental side of all of that. Yeah, the I think the mental side is bigger than the physical side in the 100 milers. That's why I find them super fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I was interested in them because they tend to even the playing field a bit. So someone who might be able to totally crush me on the roads in a marathon, if you put them on trail for 100 miles, there's just so much that can happen over the course of 100 miles that you end up being able to compete with uh, people of all ability levels. Uh, so my first 100 miler, it was in the desert. It's called the Havelina 100. It's in Arizona. And my first one actually was not successful. Uh, I dropped out at mile 83. Oh. Yes. So it's in your head, you think, oh, but you were so close. But in my head, 17 miles still meant many hours out there. And it didn't feel close at the time. And I was sitting down in front of a hot fire drinking hot soup. And I decided this is where I've come to end it. This feels lovely. Yeah. But I mean, that's one of those like this is a failure that teaches you how to kind of carry on moments, wouldn't you say? I find that in these 100 mile distances, miles 70 to 100 are 100 percent mental toughness over physical ability. You could be the fittest person out on the course. But if you don't have the mental fortitude or the mental toughness to be awake and still moving at three o'clock in the morning as an ultra marathoner, as a marathoner, you're working on uh, mental toughness, you're working on discipline, uh, sticking to your training plan, come hell or high water. If you're working crazy weeks, traveling, you're trying to figure out the puzzle pieces on how to make your training plan work and you're staying disciplined and you're pushing through those tough times and you're working on all of those things in terms of your race, but all of these qualities apply to real life as well. So after you duck out in that race at mile 83, are you sitting there sipping soup thinking to yourself, I can't wait to figure out what the next race is going to be? Or are you like, man, I am never doing this again. Please just keep me by this fire for all of eternity. (laughs) It was, they gave me a lot of time to think about the decision I had just made because again, you're, you're either on trail in the middle of nowhere, or in this case, I was halfway around a 20 mile loop. And so I had to get back to the start somehow. So I had to wait several hours for the van or the truck to drive out and pick up us runners who decided to to DNF at that point. So not DNF only, for those non <laughs> for those non-runner types stands for did not finish. Did not finish. It's kind of hard that they have like a abbreviation for this. Yeah, DNF. There's DNS. Did not start. Oh. Uh, there's the affectionate DFL dead effing last. There we go. Yes. Okay. There's awards for that in some of these. Have you ever had a DNS? DNS. I debated a DNS. I had one race where I woke up in the morning and really did not want to do it. It's called the Escarpment Trail. It's an 18-mile trail race and it was challenging enough as it was. Uh, a lot of cliffs, a lot of boulders, but that morning it was just monsooning. And it was it's an unsafe race that you have to apply for and uh and get into. And I really did not want to do it that but morning. You did, it. did it uh was almost DFL <laughs> but, oh. but was not. Um but that is the one race I have run where I can honestly say I'll probably never do it again. I was DFL one time in my life. I think my dad and I figured out the other day that we I was 14 or 13. Yeah. We decided to run the Great Pumpkin Classic 5K in my hometown. <laughs> Meanwhile, like dad and I also wore the race t-shirt for the run. So oh, this is this is those. a snapshot into the father-daughter capacity for the Great Pumpkin Classic. And we were literally the last two followed by the Trumbull Police Department cop sweeper car 
uh, right behind us. <laughs> and I think that's why in your matching race in her matching race T-shirts. And I think that's probably why I just had such a negative relationship with running until I just committed to it eventually as an older adult. Yes. Uh, but yeah, being DFL isn't isn't the best feeling. It's not the best no. unless it's in the ultra trail running world where they try and make fun of it and make light of it and give out a prize for it. Pri- what's the prize, though? Um, I mean, maybe it's uh, some of these trail runs. The prize is a, a painted rock or Ooh. a pie or mm, <laughs> it's pie. not your BYO. Yeah. Or a a handmade wooden uh, cuckoo clock. That's okay. been one. Yeah. Okay. So you okay. get all kinds of stuff in these trail races. Nice. OK, so then we proceed to trail race again. Yes. From the DNF. From the DNF. What's the first successful trail race? The first successful one was the Vermont 100. Wow. So left uh, left the desert and went to the hills of Vermont on my birthday weekend. I think it's uh, fascinating how many runners treat themselves to races for their birthday. YOLO. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's one of the few 100 milers where they still allow the horses to compete alongside the runners. Wow. So that was super fun and fascinating to watch. Uh, so pro tip, the the big um, pools of water that they have at the aid stations in Vermont are not for the runners. <laughs> not at all. That is not for the runners to cool off. That's for the horses. Wow. Okay. And so how did it feel crossing the finish line of your first 100-mile race? Uh, sadly, that one felt a little anticlimactic. Really? <laughs> yeah. You would think that... It's this big, exhausting, like ultras can kind of rip open your your soul and expose yourself and just really break you down. Um, I think at that point in my first uh, successful one, I was just too, too exhausted and had had been out there for so long that I don't know when I finally crossed the finish line. It's this um, very unassuming finish line (laughs) still in the middle of the woods. And I I crossed the finish line and just didn't really know what to do with myself. (laughs) Yeah. Who was there to greet you when you finished? I had a very cute crew team with me cute (laughs) because they all had matching team woods shirts um but with these ultras it 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 takes it takes a whole team you're only as good as your crew team sometimes and when you say that like what what does the crew team do for you so in Vermont, that one was a point-to-point race, and a lot of it is without cell phone service, and the crew team is constantly driving from um, one mile marker to the next, wherever they can, uh, whatever, wherever they're allowed to access you on the trail, and they have your change of clothes or shoes, additional fuel for you, uh, first aid kits, whatever you might possibly need. A lot of these ultras, like my motto is to prepare for the worst so the worst never happens. So you have an extra pair of anything you could possibly need. And it's the crew team's job to uh, not trust the runner and think for the runner and to help you figure out what you might need because you don't even know what you need at that point. What like a selfless choice to just hop on somebody's crew team. Like you must have really trusted these people. I I trusted these people. One was an experienced uh, trail runner. The others, it was their first ultra and trail race that they had ever been to. So I think it was kind of a funny experience for them. It was my best friend, Steph, the one who got me into running in the first place. But she's more of a fast road racer as well as her husband. Uh, He's an Olympic trials qualifying marathoner. And so the whole point of running to them is to be off your feet as quickly as possible. And so to watch people willingly be out there for 24, 25, 26 hours, uh, it was a little, it was definitely a different experience for them. Having said that the end was anticlimactic. Yes. What kept you motivated to do it again? Uh, Well, of course, I wanted to go back to Havelina and finish that race uh, to finish the the remaining 17 miles that I hadn't finished uh, the first go around. And the second time I went back to Havelina is when I really fell in love with that race and with the 100 mile distance. Uh, The Havelina race is a 20 mile loop in the desert, and it creates more of a 
a party scene for the crew team. So it's more fun for the crew team there, I think. They can set up camp at the start finish and they don't have to follow you around. They don't have to drive around. And it's more of this tent party back at headquarters. So they can hang out, uh, eat pizza, drink beer, uh, wait for their runners to come in every 20 miles. And it's it's more of a party atmosphere and this camaraderie um, than any any other 100 miler that I've been to so far. So far. So far, yes. So then the question beckons for someone who hears this and they're like, I could never do that, but they still want to get into running. What are your like quick hit suggestions for someone who wants to start? Because I think for so many people, starting is, you know, the most intimidating part, hands down. Yeah, I think you literally just said it the first and maybe only thing that you need is to want to start or to want to run or to want to run a hundred miles. Uh, I still think anyone can run a hundred miles as long as they want to, because it all comes down to why are you out there? Why are you pushing your body to do these things? And as long as you want to be there and you want to do this, uh, you're likely going to train for it and then ultimately push through it and do it. So as long as someone wants to get out there and wants to get started, I think that's the first major hurdle to, to get over. And there's so many apps now and running crews and running teams and uh, like meditation apps that talk you through your first run. There's so many tools out there now that I think that getting into your first 5K or first group run is is a lot easier now than than maybe it used to be. I think to go along with that, having the willpower to start, but then to stay, I think sometimes we start and it's like, oh, this isn't so bad, but then just other things get in the way, right? It's like, mm, I was out late last night, so I'm not going to get up today and run or Mm, the weather is kind of cloudy out. It's just not my thing. And I think that's definitely the question that I get constantly is like, how do I stick with this? What what motivates me to keep going? Right. I think maybe when you hit those those points, you have to find something that makes it fun. Yeah, So totally. If if maybe racing isn't your ultimate goal and and racing a half marathon or a marathon isn't fun to you that's completely fine everyone doesn't have to race a marathon but if you find something that's keeping running fun for you then that's what's going to make you want to get up and do it even if it's raining outside even if you you didn't get a lot of sleep the night before uh for me it's having people to run with and having that accountability and uh finding those those crews or those teams that make running fun for you that's what helps me still get out there and run even when it might be the last thing you want to do the last thing you want to do. All right. So then tell me, Jess, what's next on your radar? <laughs> next on the radar uh, is heading back to, uh, I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but heading back to the Havelina 100. <laughs> um, I, I tried to pick a different race this year, uh, but unfortunately wasn't healthy enough in time to train for it. So we're going back to the Havelina 100 at the end of October. Uh, the reason why I keep picking these 100 milers is to ultimately run the Western States 100, it's kind of like the Boston Marathon of 100 milers. You have to qualify for it, but you qualify just to be entered into the lottery, and then it's still a lottery. So I've been in the lottery four times thus far and uh, haven't gotten in yet. So every year I run one of the qualifying races on their list so that I can get a ticket into the lottery and hopefully eventually get into this darn dream race of mine. <laughs> darn dream race. You you say something that begs addressing, which is injury. Yes. What have you experienced injury-wise? Injury-wise for me, it's a it's a little difficult sometimes to be a coach as well as training for your own personal race because even with flywheel, I can be on my feet all day training someone one-on-one. I'm taking them to the track for a track session. And then you also have to get your own run in at the end of the day. So 
you have to be really careful with taking into account not only the runs that you're doing for yourself, but the time that you're out there with other people and training other people, that also counts. That's also stress that you're putting on your body and time on your feet. And so that's something that I'm hyper aware of and and constantly try and stay in tune with. Um, But sometimes things creep up and you try and address them as soon as things come up. And I'm a big proponent of shutting things down when you feel a tweak, a twinge and addressing it and not pushing through it because it's just, it's, I don't think anyone has ever gained anything by, by pushing through an injury. Have you ever really pushed the envelope? In a way that, in retrospect, maybe you wish you hadn't. Uh, yes, and I was I was in a boot three years ago. Uh, oh, I remember the boot. Yeah, the boot. I knew something was off, but I had a runcation planned in Mexico. Uh, people lined up to to take time out of their lives to take me on trails and show me things, and I just didn't want to miss it and knew that I was doing something wrong and, you know, taped it up with (laughs) as much KT tape as you think uh, is going to help. But um, that definitely (laughs) set me back and and put me in the hole. I knew what I was doing at the time and I I did it anyways, Um, but definitely not worth it to do that again. What has been one of the best pieces of advice that you have been offered in your career as a runner so far? the best pieces of advice. Uh, I think I keep going back to the common theme of only doing something if you want to do it. Uh, I think signing up for a race or a run because you think it's what you should be doing or you see others doing it and and you get caught up uh, in the hype of comparing yourself to others and well, everybody else is doing it, so I should do it too. Life is too short to sometimes do things that, that you don't want to do. Of course, we always have to do some things that we don't want to do. Uh, it's life. But uh, I think running is applicable to life and that we should ultimately be striving to to doing things that that we want to be doing all right we're winding down here coach woods winding down i haven't called you that at all on this podcast i know that's so weird that's really caught on yeah it's good i it's like it. it's taken years to I, get to that point you've deserved this and title i love it great well perfect woods yes here's uh here's the last question you have an opportunity right now to offer yourself the jess who is leaving her full-time job with benefits at nbc a piece of advice going through that hurdle moment, pursuing her passions. What piece of advice do you offer her? Uh, my one major piece of advice to myself would have been to do it sooner. I, I know I was really cautious in making sure that I had everything lined up in order to make that jump and and to and to get over that hurdle moment. But my one piece of advice to myself would have been to to pursue it sooner, to do it sooner. Thanks so much for your time. Yes. You're thank the best. You. You're the best. Please take a moment to leave a quick review by clicking the link with the description to this episode. We all face multiple hurdles in life. I want to hear about yours. Reach out to me at emily at hurdle.us. Connect with the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at hurdle podcast. Jess, where do they find you? How do they keep up with you? How do they follow the hundred milers? <laughs> you can follow along on Instagram at J-E-S-L-Y-N-N-Y-C or coachjess.com. Ooh, coachjess.com mm. on my to-do list right now. Perfect. <laughs> I am at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. Bam. Bam, bam, bam. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs>